Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from, his, from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water... Sorry, my... Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whomever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. 
Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, the servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in your world in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray that this morning you might enable us to behold his majesty. Amen. All right. Can I ask you please to take out the leaflet that you're given as you came in? Uh, you'll see on the inside a reasonably detailed outline of what we're going to cover for the next little while, and including another Bible passage that'll be helpful to have there. It'd be great also to have your Bibles open in John chapter 4. We're going to spend some time in, in the passage. It's a long passage, obviously, but having it in front of you will be really helpful. Uh, if you look in the leaflet, you'll see on the top left there that uh, I printed John 3.16, that well-known, famous verse, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's kind of a theme for everything that we've seen in the first four chapters of John. Because the big idea for today's talk, which I printed there at the top, let's lead straight off with it today. The big idea, Jesus is doing more in the world than just in you and me. Jesus is doing more in the world than just in you and me. Uh, two weeks ago, we saw him in Jerusalem with Nicodemus, uh, a Jewish leader and a Pharisee. Uh, last week, we saw him baptising in the Judean countryside, gathering a great following. And this week, in the passage that Ali has just read for us, we're going to see him meet a Samaritan woman and then heal a royal official son. Uh, what I'd love to do today is just to slowly pull it apart verse by verse like we did last week, but there's just too much to say in this long passage. So we're going to move through it relatively quickly, spending most of our time in the first episode. Um, and so that you're aware, at two different points I'm going to pause and we're going to hear from members of our church about 
how what Jesus is talking about has actually changed their life. So you see there on your handout, part one, the Samaritan woman. You'll see there's four things I want to cover here. Part one, the Samaritan woman, point one, an ancient hostility. An ancient hostility, verses one through nine. Uh, some background to the story will be really helpful as we come to it. Uh, there was, a, in many ways, an ancient hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, they were both, uh, they were races that were related to each other, they were both descended from Abraham. Uh, but after Israel split in two in 922 BC, I've given you a reference there on your handout, it divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And as a result, a rather nasty animosity developed between them. At times, in fact, they were even at war with each other. So much so that by the time we come to 1 Kings 16, King Omri renames the northern kingdom Samaria. And eventually, the Samaritans from Samaria to Samaria, they built a rival temple to the one in Jerusalem. Uh, they built their own temple at a place called Mount Gerizim which is almost certainly the mountain that's referred to in verse 19 of the reading that we just had. If you want to get a sense as to just what the level of mistrust and division was between Jews and Samaritans, look at verse 9, John 4 verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In fact, Jesus will highlight the tension between Jew and Samaritan when he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. He does it, I think, to contrast the response of a foreigner who dares show compassion whilst an injured traveller's own countrymen ignore him. That's the reason why I've given today's talk the title that I have. If you look at the top left there, Jesus goes to Samaria, which sounds rather banal, but I hope you can see he's actually terribly significant. Jesus the Jew, he's gone to Samaria. Now, if it's surprising for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan, uh, even just to ask for a drink of water, what makes John chapter 4 doubly unusual is that Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman. Now, in that culture, it was often deemed inappropriate for men and women to converse in public. But I guess what makes it all, you might say, triply scandalous is that Jesus the Jew is talking to a Samaritan woman who is an outcast in her own town. She's an outcast. I say that because, well, as you heard in the story, she comes to the well in the hottest part of the day, at noon, we're told in verse 6. And when she goes, she's all alone without any company. You can probably guess why she's all alone and, in fact, not very popular with the other women when we discover in verse 18 that this woman has had five husbands and the bloke she's currently with she's not married to. And yet, Jesus has compassion for all people because, as I said, the big idea for today's talk, Jesus is doing more in the world than just in you and me. So we come then to point two on your handout, living water that wells up to eternal life, verses 10 through 20. Uh, much of the episode is like a comedy, actually. I hope you detected that as it goes along, all these misunderstandings, actually quite funny misunderstandings. Uh, the first of these is all about water. Jesus is at the well, 
He asks for a drink of water from the woman at the well, but actually she fails to realise that what Jesus is offering her is water that will quench her thirst forever. Now he speaks of, verse 10, living water welling up to eternal life. Pick it up with me in verse 13. Verse 13. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Can you even begin to imagine that? Imagine finding a water that if you drank it once, you will never ever thirst again. Of course, the uh, entrepreneurs around us are thinking, wow, imagine what I could do with that kind of discovery. And so perhaps it's no surprise that the woman is a little bit intrigued, possibly interested. Um, Although her reply indicates that she doesn't really understand what Jesus is talking about. Look at what she says in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Uh, It seems that for this woman, well, actually, she'd very much like not having to keep coming back to the well each day, in the heat of the day, all alone. Now, Without uh, turning this talk into a pity party for Jeff, I can empathise with this woman at this point. I can empathise with her pragmatism. Uh, For the last month uh, at home, our taps have been out upstairs. Uh, So during the night, we've had to trek all the way downstairs to the bathroom. I know, I I hear your concern. Thank you, Julie. Uh, Maybe for her, she's consumed by the misery of her own situation because she can't see that what Jesus is offering is much better than quality plumbing. Jesus is offering her living water that wells up to eternal life. And that phrase there, eternal life, it's terribly significant. It's exactly the same phrase that was used back in John 3, 16. And the thing about eternal life, when Jesus describes it, it has to mean more than just this life going on and on and on and on? I mean, if you think about it, the Samaritan woman hardly would want that, would she? Her life was awful. Rather, when Jesus speaks of eternal life, he's talking about a life that is qualitatively superior in every way to this one. He's talking about a life that you would actually want to last forever. Now, a little bit of Old Testament background will help us to understand, I think, um, understand what this extraordinary gift that Jesus is offering is actually like. If you look on your handout there, you'll see I've printed a few verses from Isaiah 55. These are words written some uh, seven, eight hundred years before Jesus, and in almost certainly, I think Jesus has these words in mind as he speaks to this woman on this day. Pick it up with me, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Come, all you are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread in your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, 
I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Do you hear some of the allusions, some of the resonances to the conversation taking place this day between Jesus and this Samaritan woman? Reminders of water, of life, of an everlasting covenant and of nations even beyond Israel being invited to participate. Nations like Samaria. And so we come then to one of those really dramatic moments in the whole story. Uh, It's in verse 16. Let me read it out and then let me ask you what he thinks going on at this point. Verse 16. Jesus told the woman, go, call your husband and come back. Go, call your husband, come back. What do you think is going on? Well, I think that given what we've seen of Jesus so far, I think that Jesus wants her to go and get her husband because he wants to bless not just the woman, but her entire household. And yet, of course, we're not surprised at her rather evasive answer, are we? Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. I presume that this poor woman is ashamed at her failings. I assume that despite what Jesus offered her, that she's nervous that he won't help her once he finds out how he's lived her life and how badly she's messed up and how utterly undeserving she is. I suppose there's a word of warning for all of us in this. Please don't think that you can deceive Jesus. He cannot be fooled that easily. But of course, when he calls her out, she concedes, he seems to know everything about her. In fact, in verse 19, she will call him a prophet. Because in many ways, that's the whole point about who Jesus is. That's the whole point about his identity, his power, what he can do, what he is like. Jesus, well, he has come for the sick not the healthy. The whole reason Jesus left his Father's throne above to come down to our world, it was to save sinners. And I take it that's the whole reason why he has gone to a place like Samaria, why he has timed his trip to arrive at this particular well, outside this particular town, on this particular day, at this exact moment. I take it he's done it because he's come for her. Because, to use one of my favourite song lyrics, he sees the depths of her heart and he loves her the same. But what Jesus offers is not just for one person, it's an invitation for the whole world. And so we come then to point three, near the bottom of your page, true worship of God, verses 21 through 30, true worship of God. At this point, Jesus moves on from talking about water welling up to eternal life to instead, he redefines our understanding of what it means to worship God, of what true worship of God actually looks like. Pick it up with me in verses 21 through 23. Verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. What Jesus is saying, Jesus the Jew saying to this Samaritan woman, he is saying to her that both of our ways of relating to God are about to be abolished. Whether it's the Samaritans who worship God on this mountain, and I take it he points to it at that moment, whether it's Samaritans worshipping God on this mountain, or the Jews who worship Him in the temple in Jerusalem, which of course He's just cleansed because it's so corrupt. In both cases, Jesus is saying they're about to be abolished because Jesus is announcing the arrival of something bigger, something better, something global, something for all the world. Jesus is announcing something that will transcend tribal boundaries and ethnic borders, like Samaritan and Jew. He is bringing a new way for the whole world to draw near to God because, once again, the big idea today, Jesus is doing more in the world than just in you and me. Now, can I say this is very good news for you and for me? Because to point out the obvious, we here are neither Jew nor Samaritan and we don't live in Israel. Jesus says that true worship of God is going to be possible anywhere in his world. Now, at this point, his disciples return. Jesus, of course, travels around with disciples. They've gone off to find food. Uh, And when they come back, the comedy, it kind of picks up all over again. You see the awkward interaction in verse 27. Uh, They say they can't work out why a Jewish man is talking to an outcast Samaritan woman. But as she returns home... Did you notice what John tells us in verse 28? Verse 28, John says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. It's a tantalising suggestion, I think, that perhaps she's starting to understand that this new thing has arrived. She came out to the well to find water to drink. What she's discovered is that with Jesus, there is living water that wells up to eternal life. Uh, Actually, did you notice the evolution in her perspective, in who she thinks Jesus is? I've listed there on your handout. Back in verse 11, she calls him sir. In verse 19, she acknowledges him as a prophet. By verse 25, he's been spoken of as the Messiah. And although I've I'm pretty confident the woman doesn't fully understand everything about who Jesus is. What she does know, she can't keep it to herself. Because actually, when she goes back, she's going to tell the whole town about him, not just her sixth non-husband. She's going to tell everybody. This town that had shunned her and rejected her. Pick it up, verse 28. The woman, leaving her water jar, went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Incredibly, maybe this is the real miracle in the whole story. They listened to her. They listened to this woman who was an outcast in their own town and they immediately come out to see Jesus. Verse 30, they came out of the town 
and made their way toward him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? What an evangelist this outcast Samaritan woman turns out to be. You see, my guess is that she's not particularly well educated and she's not especially articulate or eloquent. I'm pretty confident that she didn't have time to complete an advanced training course on walk-up evangelism. She's just being gripped and captivated and transformed by Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And so she cannot keep silent. Because God can use anyone. And if he can use her, he can use you and me with all our fears and failings. It seems to me, actually, in many ways, that those who've fallen furthest, once redeemed, make the most fearless evangelists of all. But before the townsfolk arrive at Jesus, the camera cuts back to the disciples, who are still there with him, trying to work out what's going on. So we come then to point four, right-hand side of your handout, a crop for eternal life, fields ripe for harvest, verses 31 through 42. Uh, One last amusing misunderstanding, uh, and this is almost high farce at this point. At this time, it's not about living water, but it's about food. And Jesus' disciples are a bit miffed that even though they've gone off to get him food, Jesus has somehow got food from someone else. And yet, look at verse 34. Verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So, what's the work that Jesus has come to finish? Well, pick it up with me, verse 35 through 38. Verse 35. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Because even now, the one who reaps, who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Now, to be really clear, Jesus is not talking about agriculture at this point. What Jesus is saying is that his work is to reap the crop or the harvest of townsfolk, who are quite literally on approach to him. These people who want to learn more about Jesus. I mean, talk about the easiest opportunity for evangelism ever. And yet, Jesus has to say to his disciples, open your eyes. Can't you see their need? They want to know more. So go and tell them. What happens? Well, we come to the end of the story, verses 39 through 42. Pick it up with me, John 4, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Then they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Do you notice there, one last time, 
John reminds us who's actually on the road coming to Jesus. Verse 39, it's Samaritans. It's Samaritans coming to Jesus the Jew. John is making the point, once again, Jesus is opening up a new way to worship God, one that will be possible for all the world, for all who believe. And again, to reinforce the point, Jesus stays with them for two days. Can you imagine that? Samaritans have invited a Jew into their homes. But, verse 41, as a result, many more became believers. So that verse 42, here's the lovely final affirmation. Verse 42, this man really is the saviour of the world. When they say that Jesus is the saviour of the world, well, the, the world, it's the same reference that we saw back in John 3.16, God so loved the world. And that's what we saw back in John chapter 2. Look, the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the whole world. Jesus really is doing more in this world than just in you and me. Did you notice how he has given this outcast a place of honour in her own hometown? Uh, verse 42 says, John tells us that the townsfolk are actually addressing the woman, not Jesus. Because Jesus has used her to bring living water to an entire town. You might say, she has reaped the harvest that Jesus has sown. Well, let me say two things about application. The first is, if you're here today someone who's not yet a Christian, can I invite you, come to the living water that Jesus freely gives. Come to the living water that Jesus freely gives because He alone can quench your thirst. Uh, the members of this church, we've already received it. We didn't earn it or deserve it, but we've been given it. We want you to have it as well because Jesus gives it to anyone who will believe. And so can I say to the Christians here today, to the members of our church, can I say that this is why we welcome people from every race, no matter what their gender and irrespective of their background, even if we might disagree in the way in which people have lived. We welcome everyone because we too were thirsty and Jesus gave us living water so we want everyone else to have it as well. That's what Christians do. You don't have to be a superstar evangelist to get started. And in fact, just to make the point, in a moment we're going to see a video on screen. This is from Karen, who's actually a member of, of this particular gathering, talking about her friend, whom, her friend who has come to Christ in recent times. Have a look at the video on screen behind me. Hello, my name is Karen Soares and I'm a member of the 10.30am gathering. I'd like to share an encouraging story about a friend of mine. We've known each other for over 14 and a half years and over that time I've invited her to a number of events at Trinity. Last year in April she came along to explore and um, gave her life to Christ at the end of the four-week course. 
It was a wonderful way to see God working in her life and see how she's gone on to be involved in a number of other courses at church. It's been so encouraging seeing God at work in her life and a wonderful reminder to me how great our God is and that he's, he's at work in our friends' lives. I'd really like to encourage you that if you have a friend who'd be interested in coming along to explore, to invite them. And please do continue to pray for my friend that she would continue to grow in her faith and that she would hopefully become a member of our church and family community. Isn't that wonderful to hear? Part two, the royal official sum. Let me try and wrap this up for us. I just want to talk very briefly about the second reading that we had. Um, This is verses 43 through 54. Uh, Very briefly, um, Jesus goes back to Cana in Galilee at this point. uh, And of course... For us, that sounds like good news. Remember when he was in Cana in Galilee last time? That's where he turned the water into the wine at the wedding. So it sounds like it's good news. On the other hand, it, maybe it's not so good because, as uh, is rightly observed in verse 44, a prophet has very little honour in his own country. Uh, but while he's there, a royal official comes to Jesus all the way from Capernaum. He's desperate for Jesus to heal his sick son, who we're told, verse 47, verse 47, we're told his son was close to death. What's really amazing is that Jesus heals him without ever meeting the boy. Look at verse 50. Verse 50. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Uh, literally, it says, the man believed the word which Jesus spoke to him. And as if to reinforce the point, Verse 53, not just the man, not just the boy, but his whole household believed. You see what's going on, don't you? None of his household ever met Jesus in person, but still they believe in him. And so I wonder if you can see that actually in this shorter episode, John is making exactly the same point about the royal official's son that he made with the Samaritan woman. John is saying... Jesus is the saviour of the world. He is the one who brings water the worlds up to eternal life. He is the one who opens a new way to worship God, one that's not restricted to Jerusalem and Mount Gerizim anymore. Jesus offers salvation for all wherever we are in his world. Jesus doesn't even need to be physically present to heal the boy because His work is not limited to a particular place or location. Which, once again, is great news for you and I today. In these two episodes, what we've seen is that from a Samaritan woman at the bottom of the heap to a royal official's son in the upper echelons of society, Jesus really is the saviour of the world. And so, verse 54 concludes uh, this whole section. Verse 54, this is the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Uh, We know that the signs that Jesus performs, they're not meant to be miracles in and of themselves, they're meant to point to who Jesus is and to what he is able to do. And so, John chapter 20, verse 30, printed there on your handout, this is what this whole letter, whole book has been about, John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, 
which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I think what John is doing is deliberately asking you and me, will we believe in Jesus as well? Well, let me finish then. So what for us? Let me say two things, both printed there at the bottom of your handout on the right-hand side. Firstly, because Jesus is the saviour of the world, we keep planting churches. Because Jesus is the saviour of the world, we keep planting churches. Now, you'll, you'll recall that last February, we sent 130 members of this church to a new church that was starting just down the road in Mile End. Uh, we did it joyfully, even though we have felt the cost and felt the loss. Some of you will be aware that last weekend, the church at Mile End finally moved a bit further west to where they actually wanted to be all along. You can see on the screen behind me, Trinity Church Lockleys had its first Sunday gathering last week. They did it because they want to reach more people, even the people in Lockleys, because Jesus is the saviour of the world. And can I say, though it's not all about numbers... One year on, we have more people in our church here than before they left. Because Jesus is the saviour of the world, we keep planting churches. Second thing I want to say, because Jesus is the saviour of the world, we want to be a multi-ethnic church. We want to be a multi-ethnic church. See, the reason why we're prepared to cross every social barrier, every divide, to bring water that once drunk means people will never thirst again, well, the reason we do it is because Jesus is the saviour of all the world. Once again, I want to say it's not easy. It's not always easy and at times it's difficult, more than just uncomfortable or awkward, try to cross racial barriers and divides. The reason for that, of course, is because, to be blunt, people who aren't like us often don't like the same things as we do. The style of music, the time we meet, the way we do things. But the fields are ripe for harvest, which means I think if we are playing our part in reaching our world for the saviour of the world... If we are playing our part, then I think our church ought to reflect the ethnic distribution in our city. I discovered this week that 20% of Adelaide City residents, 20% of Adelaide City residents are from mainland China. One third of all people who live in Adelaide, in the CBD, they are Asian. So it says to me then, actually, that as I think about our church, our 9am gathering, it feels very Anglo. Our 10.30 gathering, to be honest, feels too Asian. And 6pm, well, 6pm is like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's the middle one. It's just right, I think. Now, I'm not trying to be prescriptive in any way. I'm just trying to say that if Jesus is the saviour for all the world, we ought to expect to see all the world coming to Christ. Or at least that's what we ought to be praying for. 
what we ought to be asking God to do in us because, one last time, Jesus is doing more in the world than just in you and me. Actually, what I'm touching on is so important that um, what we're going to do at this point is pause in our series on John. This has always been the plan. We're going to pause after this week and for the next three weeks, we're going to spend some time thinking about what church is like, what church ought to be like and how it glorifies Jesus. And we're going to do that over the next three weeks leading up to Easter. But where I want to finish today is with the second story that I promised you from a member of our church. This is a story about how Jesus changes lives even today. In a moment, you're going to meet Aaron. Aaron, who about 20 minutes ago was baptised in the Mandarin gathering. Have a look at this on screen behind me. Dajaho,我的名字叫米超,我来到澳洲有十一年了,我是一名软件工程师。我就越觉得我是在敬拜摩门教的先知，也就是教会的最高领袖。当我了解到摩门教的历史后，我决定不再参加教会的活动。当我离开了摩门教时，我决定参加一个能让我真正开始学习和理解圣经的教会，可以让